Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I'm the founder of 1000 Hours Outside, and I'm so excited. My friend Elsie Uticello is here today. Welcome. Hi, Ginny. Thank you so much for having me on. You, my kids, <laughs> this is a common thing in our house because our kids love your kids, but they were in that <laughs> they were in that session that we did together at a homeschool conference, and they always go, you to Jello. <laughs> that was so fun. I have been following Elsie for a very, very, very long time. You were one of my first homeschool influences and a very, very large one. I tell people, I remember I look through the different materials that you were using and the different schedule that you did and the blessing hour. I was wide eyed. I remember thinking, where did all this come from? Like, where's all this bubbling up from and all of these different ideas. And so I just want to tell you again that you really have impacted our homeschool so much. And it is one of the biggest gifts to be able to actually meet someone who has really influenced you. I am so overwhelmed that I don't even know what to say to that other than just praise God that anything we did in our home helps anybody else because you know our story and you know where all of that comes from is just from a place of a lot of darkness and sadness is where all of that grew out of. So it's really wonderful now when we meet people and we meet other kids where they say, oh, we do the blessing hour, we do this other thing. And it's hmm. really kind of in, in awe of it because we know that it's really nothing that we were like, hey, we're going to start this whole thing that ripples out from us. It was really just the mercy of God to us in opening our eyes to really see our children and want relationships with them to go beyond just the tedium of checklists and connect with them. And then the fact that it got replicated anywhere else is like, it's just all these hugs <laughs> coming back to us is really, Aww. really a beautiful thing. So, mm -hmm. But you really took some large strides in changing your life and being very intentional about even thinking through. I think for so many of us and myself included that Especially like right when we first had kids, you, you don't really have this depth of thought about it. You kind of look around. I did just kind of did what I saw everyone else doing. And you had this depth of thought to make some substantial changes. So I found you at Farmhouse Schoolhouse on your Instagram and on your website where I would come and find different resources and ideas and blogs. Can you give a little back history here about you didn't grow up? And we're going to be talking about homeschooling because you're a homeschool family, but I always do say that any parent. I think can grab from these conversations pieces that they can slide into their lives too. But you didn't grow up with the blessing hour and with birthing pigs and all of these different things. And now here you have such this full, rich life with your sons. What was a little bit of that path like? Well, I will say that, you know, I'm the daughter and granddaughter of political exiles. And so our home was very much absent of any sort of physical heirloom to hand down to people. What we had were stories. Mm -hmm. And all of my grandparents told us many, many, many stories about this really far away place that none of us could ever physically touch with our hands. And so what ended up happening is that they kind of built this imaginary world for us. And it's where we would play with our grandparents. And that sort of got mm -hmm. exercised out and really humble real life ways. You know, I grew up in urban Miami. We didn't have huge backyards and a lot of space, but we still played outside every chance that we got. My sister and I could only ride our bikes in circles in our driveway. 
because my mom was terrified of us like going anywhere else in the streets of Miami was not an option. So Mm -hmm. I rode my bicycle in circles in our backyard. And because we're Cuban, we did roast pigs every year for Noche Buena on on December 24th. And so that was part of our heritage that I think ended up opening the door later on to actually raising the pigs that we were using for Mm -hmm. Noche Buena. But all of those little things, I think, built up in pieces. I can see how my grandparents and all the stories that they passed on, the fact that we just didn't have a lot and had to use our Mm. imaginations. My dad was also really keen on traveling. I mean, his parents were born in really small houses with dirt floors on the island of Cuba. They came from nothing. And my dad worked really, really, really hard to start. He started his own business in our home. So for any of those parents out there that are like, you know, starting small businesses and working all the time, and that is their entire life. And you're like, what are we doing? What are we teaching our kids? Like, It's actually really incredible thing. I loved watching my dad start a small business. We gave my sister and I gave up our little second bedroom toy room and we moved into one room together. And that toy room was his office. And we watched what it meant for our dad to chase a dream, build a business on his back. And one of the fruits of that is that we traveled everywhere. I mean, we went everywhere. He took us all over the place. And my abuela to this day will go somewhere and she'll be like, I can't believe one of my descendants has gone to such a faraway place. It just, it blows her mind. Mm. So I think that story of just political exile, yes, but all the family ties that came with it, watching my dad build a small business, all these very small, small things that ended Mm. up constantly orienting us toward relationship with one another and our Mm -hmm. stories was mm-hmm. very foundational for us. Yeah, yeah. And so now you are a mom with four sons, four awesome sons. <laughs> Goodness, do I just love spending time with them. It's been such a treat to get to know them over the past year or so. And our kids love your kids. In fact, one of your sons just sent our daughter a, a book list. Some of the, We went and got the books today. So uh, she got two new books. She's really excited to learn about the different wars because <laughs> he told her. <laughs> Your whole family is filled with people who are influencing others in these ways that are substantial. Like just by the way that you speak and the things that you do and the interests that you have, it is incredible to see that generational impact that now your kids are doing the same thing. And I was impacted by one of your sons is talking about he wants to create games and I mean, just so intriguing. So you raised your boys in a way that is different than a lot of people raise their boys. And you've had a lot of play. You've had a lot of open space. Can you tell parents who are listening why they might want to do that? Why play? Why open space? Why time? Why the way that you've set up your childhood? Why they might want to jump on board? Well, um, the very last job that I had out in the world was as a preschool teacher and then as a substitute teacher through at a private school where I saw all the different ages. So I'd visit a preschool class and a high school class and a middle school class and go back and forth. And I got to see the full spectrum of how a lot of boys just don't fit into the educational paradigm that is used today in the school system. And Mm -hmm. I saw how it affected them throughout the course of their education, how 
boys were just never built to sit down. I mean, I was a girl who was never built to sit at a table, but I did, Mm -hmm. you know, I had a really hard time with it, but I did it. But I think boy, I noticed it in boys, especially it was really, it was really difficult for them. And I looked at my boys and they're also wildly different, but I saw in them this urge to really move their bodies. And then later on, I ended up reading, I know you're a big book reader too, of all these different people that would talk about, you know, how men and women are just biologically different, not just in their reproductive systems, but, you know, they Mm -hmm. hear differently. There are things that Mm -hmm. women can hear that men cannot hear in terms of pitch and tone, their sense of smell, the way they learn under stressful Mm. situations, they need some kind of contact and their body needs to feel some kind of stress in order to really receive and absorb information. And so when they were really little, I I said to Jeff, there's this little thing that happens once in a while when we read a book, there's like a little spark and I want them to chase it. I want to give them room to chase it because if the spark is there and then we just move on to the next thing, the spark just kind of dies. And I don't want to do that to them. I want to give them freedom to do that. So I remember vividly the first time we ever read Swiss Family Robinson, which, you know, I loved that movie as a kid, my sister and I, that was like our go-to summer movie with like, you know, ice cream sandwiches in the heat of the Miami <laughs> summer. <laughs> and I read that book to the kids and halfway through, I was like, oh, this book has some really long, boring parts, but there were parts that weren't boring, that were really exciting. And the mm-hmm. boys would hear it. And all of a sudden they would have all these questions. And I would think, I'm so tired. I just want to nap. I have a baby. I want to put that baby down. I want to sleep but then this might go away. And so I'd kind of just push through it and say, let's put out some other things. What are some ideas? I'm kind of at the end of my reserve right now, but what are some things that you can do? And so I just started thinking of ways that I could teach my boys to chase their own spark. Things they could do where they wouldn't necessarily need me controlling and directing everything. And that wasn't because I was like, oh, I'm so wise. I need to teach them to self-direct. No, it was because I was really truly at the end of my capacity. And I would just say, Mm -hmm. you know, what is something you can do? What is the next thing? And it's incredible what a basket of wooden blocks and an open back door can do for your children. Truly. Mm -hmm. My kids spent so much time out in the mud, playing blocks on the living room floor, playing out in the mud, building things outside, just testing their capabilities, asking questions, building whole worlds. And when you play, when you watch your kids play, I mean, it's it's like a roadmap to who they are inside. You see mm-hmm. the things that they're thinking about. You witness the kind of things that they're struggling to figure out. And if you mm-hmm. ever have a kid that you're having trouble connecting with, watch them play. Watch them play mm-hmm. and they will reveal so much to you in their play. Mm-hmm. And now you have teenagers mm-hmm. and they're awesome teenagers. <laughs> I always want to sing the praise of these teenagers. It's really a fun stage. Were you ever nervous that what you were doing wasn't enough? I think everyone worries that it's not enough because realistically, we are in a world that holds so much. There's this expectation where we look around and we're like, man, like everything here, everything there. It's we live in an overwhelming world. I think, you know, after my accident, I had a moment where I was like, we will not be able to do it all but I want to do some things really well. And I was a lot more interested in making sure that my kids understood how to learn things, how to engage with things so that they could learn the things that they were interested in chasing and and learning. And I think I had been around enough people in different 
situations again with all the traveling that my dad had us do and mm-hmm. all the people that I had met that I I knew it was very rare to meet someone that was good at everything I mean by and large you have people that specialize in things are interested in things but the people that right. to me seemed well-rounded were the ones that could at least hold conversations about different things people that were curious people that knew how to ask questions people like you Jenny actually you're one of those people that I think of you know that come to mind when I think of self-led learning you're someone mm-hmm. that pops up into my mind because you're you're curious you ask questions um you're engaged with people and so I stopped asking myself, even though I still, if I'm honest, will worry from time to time, like, wow, did we get enough there? Did we do enough with this? Mm. But um, I I think that's idolatry, yeah. to be honest. I think when wow. we sit there and look at our, our children as representative of what we are capable of, I can't look at my son and be like, this is what I'm capable of, because that's idolatry. That mm. is pride on my part, and that's idolizing him, and that's not loving him well. I had to sort of release those things and just think, okay, Lord, what can we learn? What do you have for us here? I I mm-hmm. still think of education as a way to worship God with our minds. That's something that has been true for our home for many, many years. And a lot of things we gravitate to end up being places where that thought is expressed. And so this is a very long roundabout answer to say, I think it's impossible to avoid that pitfall of, did we do enough? Mm. I don't know any homeschool mother that went through the whole thing and thought, ah, my children, I gave them everything they needed, um, partially because Mm. most of the women I know would say, I'm raising my children to be lifelong learners. So of course, they're not going to leave knowing everything. But truly, 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 Anytime I have that thought, I have to stop and ask myself, am I in danger of making my child an idol or of making what we're doing an idol? There's a lot that has to be released so you can embrace the things that you were created to do. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. 
this spring. Transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. Wow, Elsie. I'm like tearing up over here. <laughs> I have chills. And every time I talk to you, it's the same thing. And really, ever since I've been following you, it's the same thing. I'm always like, where is this coming from? I mean, there's so much thought toward things that I've never thought about. I've never thought about it in that way. So what an incredible reframe. Like, that's really not the question we should be asking is, are we doing enough? That's the wrong, it's the wrong question. It's just phenomenal to listen to you. I absolutely love it. I love the stories you tell. Where did your... We talked about a little bit like re-education. Yeah. If you're taking a different path that you've not taken yourself, and maybe you don't know a lot of people, like now I do, but at the beginning, yeah. I didn't. Yeah. And now what a gift. I've gotten to meet a lot of these people in person, not John Holt because he's dead, but <laughs> a lot of the other people. So, I mean, darn, okay. But a lot of the other people, you meet them, but at the beginning, this is really something that has to be crafted and it's coming out of an infusion of ideas and thoughts a lot from other people a lot of times i think from things that we've read can you talk through your journey of looking at education differently like what are some of the things that really influenced you i mean right off the bat you know charlotte mason was a big thing for me i found her while i was sick and the first time i read charlotte mason i thought huh and the second time I read Charlotte Mason, I was like, does this lady have any kids? And then the third time I was like, I want to read this again. Like, that was my... Wait, no, I, we got we to gotta narrow this down. So when you say you read it for the third time, what exactly are you talking about? Because there is so much. She wrote so much. She wrote a lot. I just mean the first time that I sat down to write, to read okay. her. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I, I got through like one or two chapters and I was like what because it was so it felt intuitive and way too natural and i everything that i learned in you know when i went to school i i did do a secondary education degree and there was so much that was taught to me that really did not feel intuitive i think i re i specifically remembered quintilian and thinking like wow there are a lot of ideas here that i really connect with but by and large it was so much classroom management it was so much that I just remember thinking, man, I hated this when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was the worst. And then all of a sudden, here's Charlotte Mason, and it just, it didn't make sense. I'm like, and this is a lady that had a school in England? Wait, what? And why does this feel so intuitive? And why isn't this everywhere? Why does this feel like such a niche, random, secret thing that I just happened to stumble into? And then my second read through of yeah, the same section. So I usually read and reread something a few times. I don't like plowing through books that I don't understand. I'll say that. I will, as a reader, I will go back and read it till I understand. And I do the same mm -hmm. thing with my kids. Like we don't plow through math that we don't understand. We will sit there 
until we understand the concept. Even if it takes weeks, it's fine. I'm not competing with everyone, anyone. And there's no like finish line at a certain day mm-hmm. with the state of Florida. I don't have to worry about that. So we sit with it. So I sat with Charlotte for a while until I understood her. And yeah, I just, there were times where I was like, wait, but I, someone, whoever, like the person that gave me this said she had no kids. Like how, where is this coming Mm. from? Like, where are these ideas generating from? And then by the time I got through it, I just thought, I want to read this over and over again. And then I think the other big influence was actually fictional stories. It was stories of women and men that again, knew how to ask questions that were paying attention but also that knew how to really love and understand the people that they were leading with. I think it's kind of crazy to say, I'm going to go on this journey of homeschooling and I'm going to have my eyes glued to the screen on what everybody else is doing. And I'm never going to pause for breath to look at the people that I'm traveling with or to think about what we might need to pack along this huge, huge trip. You know, Sonia Schaefer, who has Simply Charlotte Mason, is someone that I read a lot when my kids were really little. And so a lot of the ideas that ended up coming into our home were some maybe salsified version of what, you know, she was doing with her kids. But yeah, fiction books were huge mm-hmm. for us. I think we learn through story and it's hard mm-hmm. for me sometimes to really pull a lot from nonfiction unless they're telling me something about their lives that I can hold on to. So, you know, biography and fiction, those were the wow. two that really just taught us a lot. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because Charlotte Mason was the catalyst for us too. And I also had a similar response of what, but but my what was more like, well, this is bizarre because actually my first thing I ever heard was the four to six hours of time outside whenever the weather is tolerable, that that's a great amount of time for kids to be outside. And I thought, what, I'd never heard of that before. And it took me a long time before I actually found out that she was from the 1800s. But you spent enough time with Charlotte Mason to where your kids thought she was your friend. She no, they did, and they thought her name was Carol. They thought <laughs> her name was Carol. And they kept talking about Carol. And I'm like, who's Carol? And then I eventually realized that Carol Mason was Charlotte Mason. So she, along with Dear John, are on the list of all my friends are dead that I can't invite to my <laughs> birthday party. <laughs> well, they were expecting her to show up to something, weren't they? They were, yes, no, fully. And they thought, I mean, they thought, I, I think they had her confused with Ainsley Armin. I really do. I think for a while they may have thought that they were one of the same person, which is hilarious. <laughs> so Ainsley could also be Carol and Charlotte. <laughs> Carol. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, one of... Charlotte Mason's big premises is that children are born persons. And one of her quotes is what a child digs for becomes his own possession. How has that influenced the way that you parent? That was the end of the question. (laughs) Well, I was thinking of, this is what I was thinking of. This concept of children are born persons is not really embraced, I don't think, in our culture. I see as children are born and we put them on a little bit of a conveyor belt and we expect them to assimilate to a system that truth be told works well for adults. I actually had someone say that to me one time and they said, are we making this decision out of adult convenience? That was a really life changing one. And I was like, Oh, I think about that a lot. Like the decisions that we're making for our kids, you know, sometimes people say like, you know, are these kids really acting up? Are they just being kids? Are you just irritated because you're an adult and you're just annoyed? And so 
this concept of children are born persons is such a huge one. How has that shaped your family life? Well, I think in the first place, it's always a good thing for a young mother to hear that your child is not a continued extension of yourself. They are a whole other separate person. So, you know, humans, by and large, we we do operate off of some assumptions sometimes. And we think that, you know, our passions will be shared or the things that disgust us will be shared or the way that we reason or think about things will be shared, especially with the people that we share genetic material with. But that has not been the case in our house. Um, It's actually helped me have that statement, have more grace for the children that are more similar to me than different from me the kids that differ from me I know they're different but the ones that are similar to me sometimes I look at them and I'm like how is this not bothering you or how are you making these decisions you are so much like me and I would never do this and it's a good reminder and then as you say this whole idea of the conveyor belts or of children needing to be filled with things or shaped into certain things it's hard sometimes you hear well-meaning people talk about how we are supposed to mold our children and shape them for these things. And yes, we train our children. Habit training happens whether you're trying or not. So you are Mm. teaching, you are making impressions. Children, you know, Andy Wilson has that great quote where, you know, he says, we take the shape of the things that we pour into ourselves. And and that is true, but children are formed. (laughs) They come out Mm. already persons. And that's something that we respect in our home that personhood is incredibly important and you see that with your kids you sure do (laughs) if people follow you i think it really shines through the way that you live your life and the intentions that you have in a way that is pretty unique people get the sense that these things that you talk about that you actually are doing them and you're really living them and your kids get to be who they are and have the interests that they have and read the books that they want to read and all the while joining into a family unit. So it's really cool to see how that all comes together. And I thought what you said earlier about sitting with things, like you sit with things and you let your kids sit with things if you don't quite get it. And we want to dig further because we live in a world, and this is one of the things that you and I talked about when we were in Florida, that really measures everything. You know, we measure like how far have we gotten and what is the grade on this? And What percentage of this body of knowledge does this child know? And you've taken a little bit more of an approach, and so have we, of an unmeasured growth, which can be really scary. Like, we're not checking things off to a degree. You know, we're following our laws. (laughs) I love how we're always saying that. We are following (laughs) the law. We are following the law. And yet, we're doing everything Differently. Yeah, I, you know, I still remember talking to um, Jeff early on when we were trying to put together our, our morning time. And he's like, what is the the whole idea behind this? And <laughs> he's, like, he's like, basically, why aren't you doing math, Elsie? Why? Why? So, um, and what I said was these, this to me is the time for the immeasurable. Like child is really time for the things that can't be measured. Things like appreciating beauty. How do you measure appreciating beauty? How do you measure watching ants walk in a little line and pick up something that looks so impossibly huge and somehow carry it on their backs? You can't measure that kind of wonder. You really, really, really can't. Um, And there are so many things to me that I was like, oh, this 
you know, thing of immeasurable beauty that we're going to enjoy at morning time. My kids didn't enjoy it. They didn't look at it and think, oh, how beautiful I did. They were just interested mm-hmm. in eating waffles. But you know what? We did it <laughs> together. And that forged our relationship and also made space later on for me to look at them and be like, you know what? I'm really okay not hearing another story, another really terrible, long, bloody story about someone suffering during World War One. But you sat there with me while I listened to Lock Me. And so I'm going to sit here with you and listen to you talk about World War One because we're a family. That's what we do. There were times where the kids would watch me um, go off on these rabbit trails of things that I was really excited about. And then when I was done, I'd look at them and they'd be like, blink, 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 blink. And guess what? There were days when they would read something and they'd come to narrate. And I mean, 40 minutes would go by and I'd be like, what just, where did that 40 minutes go? What just happened? And I'm kind of blinking at them, but it's okay. That's part of life together. It doesn't always have to be this magical, wonderful thing or on the opposite side, something where it's like constantly checking all of these tedious boxes that ultimately don't mean anything to them. They're just boxes. Right. So, you know, we're sitting there talking about, you know, Charlotte Mason and how she affected us. This, this whole thing of ideas first was huge Mm -hmm. for us. I mean, huge for us. I just remember thinking, I don't want my boys education to be built of a million checklists. I want it to Mm -hmm. be ideas. And sure, there's checklists that are necessary that you have to do. But the ideas is what I want them to remember. Not that, right. you know, every day I would get up and I would have to check off all of these boxes. Right. And then something you said, which I loved this, you just said, you're like, basically, you're learning through family life that this is a trade-off. Mm-hmm. Everybody comes with their interests and everybody comes with the things that give them that spark. And it's different for all of us. And so I love your story about your Friday beach day. That yeah. <laughs> we're learning from the beginning that we're going to be trading off some different things. So can you tell us about that and the intention there? I mean, we had been going through a series of things during morning time where I suddenly realized that they weren't totally interested in some of the things that I had been suggested or selected as really beautiful, wonderful things to do with your children. And I thought, guys, what's something that you really want to do? And I would have been thrilled if they had said like, you know, we want to learn pottery, mother, or we want to learn this or that. And instead, they were like, we want to go to the beach every Friday. And, you know, the beach is not too far from our house. But you know what it is, like getting all of these kids together to go to the beach every Friday. That is a Herculean effort. One of the reasons we got a place with a huge yard is because I was so incapacitated, I could not be packing everybody up and leaving. I mean, just practically, I'm like, we need access to green because I'm not always mentally well enough to leave the Mm. house. And here we are years later and I was finally just getting up on my feet and they're like the beach every Friday. Mm -hmm. And so we did it and we, and it was kind of a pain at first, but eventually we learned to keep our van in a state of perpetual adventure readiness. It was always ready for action and not just for the beach on Friday. It's funny how like after a few weeks of going to the beach on Friday, all of a sudden Mm -hmm. I was a lot more willing to be like, let's turn this puppy around and see what's going on over there. We might as well, because you know, I've got this in the back and that in the back and we're packed up. We're ready to go. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do, but I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why good chop 
is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash outside120 code outside 120. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash 1000 hours. Man, going to the beach every Friday taught us a lot, but we also had to sacrifice some things for it because if we're at the beach on Friday, there's other things that we're not doing. And so that really taught us to look at the measure of our days. And if we are yeah. taking time to do this, what is the cost of that? And where are we paying that later? And that led to us, actually, that's one of the things that led to us talking about scheduling our rest every week when we sit down to plan out our week. The first thing we schedule is when we're going to rest. We pull mm -hmm. out the Sabbath. That's just for our family. We don't do any work on the Sabbath. During the evenings and the afternoons after blessing hour, and we pick all of those times of rest and refreshment. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that... Um, I think have a really inverted view of rest and work where they yeah. think I'm only going to take a quick rest so that I can work well. And then eventually everything starts getting depleted here. And, you know, mm. we look at the Bible and we're like, yes, these have to work in harmony. Like we work really, really hard so that we can rest really, really well. And we rest really well so that we can work hard. Mm. It's, it's an important balance. And it's funny how the beach sort of taught us that because man, the beach gets you tired in July in Florida. It's no joke. <laughs> yeah. And those adventures, there are a lot, like you say, there are a lot to pack up. There are also a lot to come home from. Mm -hmm. You're coming home with sand everywhere and maybe critters and all that kind of stuff. And so, so really, I love that. That was really impactful for me to hear. It's good to teach kids or for them to, I mean, you're not even teaching them. It's you're modeling, right? That life is a little bit of a trade-off that you're going to give a budge and they're going to budge and, you know, like I'm, I'm a mother, I've got these four sons. I maybe want to do a little tea time and they want to go to the beach. So we're going to compromise here. And that's how their life is going to be for their whole life. And so that was a really impactful thing 
that you talked about that I learned from you and I've been noodling on it ever since I, I love that thought of noodling on it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that thought of like, I mean, you know, as, as they get older and they have roommates or they get married or that type of thing, like this is how things work. We have two children that are neurodivergent and one child that, you know, has a whole host of little letters that follow after his name, all these diagnoses mm -hmm. that he has had. And he is not someone that transitions well or gracefully. And mm -hmm. that is just a fact of our life. And mm -hmm. uh, we still have to learn how to love him well and how to help him adjust to those transitions. And so that whole, it, it's really, I'm honestly, it's really the mercy of God. I look at Jeff all the time and I think, you know, if you had told me when I was at my sickest and my lowest that I was going to be learning the exact vocabulary that I needed to help my son just mm. five years later, navigating all of this stuff. I mean, in the moment, I would have been like, well, hallelujah, it's going to be used for something because this just feels like the pit of hell right now. Yeah. Um, but it did. There was nothing that was wasted. It's it's such a, such a mercy, such a redemption to know all of the anxiety, all of the depression, all of these things ended up being exactly what I needed to help my son navigate all of these things. And that word compromise is a really key thing. It's it's hard learning how to, I tell the boys all the time, like, guys, I know it's hard to be roommates. You're going to be best friends once you guys move out. I just know it. <laughs> being roommates is hard with someone when you didn't sign up for it. And the kids didn't <laughs> sign up to be roommates with their siblings. It just, ha it just came to them. It just happened. <laughs> And so they're just, you know, they're learning. We had that conversation mm -hmm. this morning. It happens almost every day because they're so wildly different. But I don't know, going to the beach, it's one of those, you know, Joel Saladin talks all the time about how, you know, farms are full of natural object lessons for children. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's not just farms, it's any kind of nature. So it's like, if yeah. you, you know, if your kids are going crazy, if you're trying to figure out how to compromise, man, nothing will help you learn how to compromise faster than going on some camping trips or dragging everyone to the beach or just bringing nature into your home as part of your everyday existence. Mm -hmm. I love Joel. I just had he's a quote so out great. from him today. He is. He's so great. We've gotten to go visit his farm. It was like a total treat. So, and it was fun. We sat in his sessions together and we I we love it. We fangirled in his sessions together. <laughs> we don't, bro, we, bro. Helped him, we helped him realize that Game of Thrones was not a video game. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. He called it Games of Thrones. <laughs> he's stuck with it though he just said it to me the other day we were talking and he said games of thrones and i was like he's sticking with that bit it's a good bit it's a, i don't think he realizes that it's actually like really funny but um i just love that that was super fun to sit in his sessions and i agree you know this is where where life happens is where kids are learning a lot of these different types of skills that will really help them as they grow do you talk much publicly about the time when you were really sick I have in little bits and pieces. Um, I think the first time was really at a wild and free conference in Portland. I don't know, mm -hmm. maybe like seven years ago, but it was hard. It was just a, a medical accident. Um, I was pregnant at the time I had, you know, miscarried and didn't realize that I was still pregnant with another baby with my third. And mm -hmm. I was horribly ill in and out of the hospital five different times. Um, wow. Really had the experience of feeling my body dying. And um, there was a solid um, period in my life where I was pregnant with him, where I, I lost something like 25 pounds because I wasn't eating crazy enough that I couldn't even shower because I thought everything was going to make me send me into another anaphylactic uh, mm. situation. 
And I, I truly, I truly went crazy. It was really, really difficult. I had a two-year-old and a one-year-old at the time. Wow. And so when I say that everything that we do in our home comes from that place, it's really true. When you feel like you're incapable of not doing anything, you have to start going. I mean, everyone around me was like, mommy and me play dates. And now we're going to do this. And now early reading. And now, and none of that was an option for me like at all. Yeah. But I knew in my heart, I just knew in my heart that I, that I was, that we were supposed to homeschool the boys. Mm. It just kept coming to us repeatedly. And I kept seeing it in the boys where I thought I can't do everything that all these other people are doing, but mm -hmm. I can study my children. I can really pay attention to them. I can learn about them. I can figure out the things that they love, the things that they're passionate about, the things that they're curious about, and I can point them to those things that I can do. And so, mm. you know, those early years, that's all we ever did. All was just pay attention to the boys, pay attention to mm. who they were instead of everything outside that was screaming at us to buy this or do this or run here or go there. And so we had, mm. we had those, we had that quiet growing time mm -hmm. um, because we had to, because I was so ill and it ended up being a mercy to us. Elsie, mm. that's so powerful because I think so many of us and myself included look at what we can't give. I can't afford that. I don't have enough patience. I can't do this. I don't have enough skills. And you looked at what you could do and what you could do is know your kids and love your kids and let them be born persons and have their own childhood that's unique to them. And that's really a powerful message. I, I think it's just truly a product of being raised by people that had, I mean, my grandparents had a knock on the door and they had to show up on the dock, rip up their passports and leave. I mean, they left with nothing. And, and my other grandparents mm. were just extremely poor from the country. They came with with nothing but my all four of my grandparents loved us loved their families so ferociously and so well that I don't think I ever had a day where we were sitting around thinking about things that we didn't have and I know my mm -hmm. parents have expressed you know similar things that for them growing up they weren't thinking about the things they were lacking they were thinking about all the things that were being poured into them the, the family is an incredibly powerful tool for education, for love, for worship, for glory, that there's just nothing to rival the family, you know? And mm -hmm. I think when I look back and I think of the richest elements of our homeschool life together, every single one of those things was free in terms of money. And all it really cost was just releasing the things that did cost mm. a lot of money. <laughs> I just adore every chance I get to listen to you because I'm over here tearing up about all the things. It's so impactful, Elsie, and so I'm so grateful. I'm, I, I truly can't even believe that I know you. I, I <laughs> love you. the thing, I can't even believe it. I mean, I've been following for a decade plus, and just, you know, and I say, like one of my very first homeschool influences, it's like a big thing, you know, you remember who at the very beginning was really pouring into your home when they don't even know that they're doing it. They don't even know who you are. And so I'm just so thankful that you took the time to be with us today. People can follow you at Farmhouse Schoolhouse and they should be following you there. And I'll put that in the show notes. People can know where to go and, and check out all of the information that you have. But it's a continual blessing 
to see what you're doing because you're living it out and it's changing, you know, as the seasons change and kids grow and they're in different stages of life and, and you really see the fruit of it. So it's just been such an honor to have a bird's eye view, but now, now I've been there. And so that's a super special thing. You've been in in our home. You came for for a butchering day. Our kids are friends and basketball. We're buddies. Yeah. It was really really special to come and to be in your home. I I felt like I was walking like into a movie set. Like, is this place real? (laughs) Like, no, this is really real. I'm touching the things. I got pictures taken there. Like I was like in a museum or something like that. It was so fantastic. So I so appreciate it. Elsie, we always end our podcast with the same question. What's a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside? Okay, this is going to sound so weird, but it's actually going to the dump with my dad. (laughs) I just really adored my dad. And I wanted to be with him no matter what he was doing. Even when he was going to the stinky dump in the middle of Miami-Dade County, all I wanted to do was be with him. And so we went in his rickety old truck to the dump and I was looking out the windows and we were looking at clouds. And that was the first time he ever, I ever heard the word cumulonimbus cloud. And he was talking to me about the different kinds of clouds. And it just felt like the most magical thing because I was with my dad and he was showing me something out in nature that felt really far beyond my reach. Mm -hmm. And yet, incredibly close at the same time so that's it it's not a really significant thing it's just you know I think we forget sometimes kids really want to be with their parents they love them they want your attention they want to spend time with you so even if you feel like it's a really insignificant small thing your attention your care your love your time with them really does mean something Elsie, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much for being with us. This has been an absolute honor. And I can't wait till we see each other again. Yay! No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.